Bethlehem. Dark. Quiet. A resting town. Once bustling, now still. An innkeeper's stable. Once calm, now astir. The tender cry of a newborn has pierced through the hush. Around a makeshift cradle, a small audience of witnesses gaze upon the baby boy with awe and wonder. This humble infant is the fulfillment of a centuries-old promise. The longed-for Savior is here. Emmanuel is indeed among them. Angel choirs resound, declaring to the cosmos the magnitude of this night. Even the stars respond, lighting the path to the significant spot. Jesus stepped down from heaven to be here. The posture of the world is forever changed. Humanity can stand confident in her kinship with a savior who chose to be present. God promised. Heaven and nature waited. God came. Peace can now abound. Peace that transcends all understanding, unaffected by outside circumstances, like a lone snowflake, unique and still. Peace formed in light of the trustworthy nature of our God. Amongst stirring and hectic souls, the Prince of Peace has officially made his home. With the same eyes of awe and wonder, co-witnesses to all that God has done, may our hearts kneel at his manger. Let us look not to gifts of things, but let us turn our attention to the one who is the gift himself, Jesus. Just as the light of his birth broke through the darkness of humanity's waiting, his light daily breaks through the boundless darkness of this weary world. Jesus is the one and only light of the world. Well, hey, Mosaic, how are you guys? Good, so glad to hear it. Hey, I just want to tell you guys thank you uh, so much for uh, preaching the gospel to me this morning uh, in the opportunity we had to worship together here. Uh, we forget sometimes that in our uh, space, in this gathering place, as we declare the beautiful word of God through the worship songs, that we are not only the recipients of that from the worship team and the words being given to us, we are not only giving those words to God as we give our hearts to Him with those words, but we are giving those words to each other, and there is something supernatural about standing in this place and having you all preach the gospel to me as I participate with you in the singing of those songs, and hearing it out of your voices 
is a stirring in my soul as I pray and trust it is a stirring in your, yours as you hear it from one another. This is what the author of Hebrews meant when he said, don't neglect meeting together, but come and stir each other up toward love and good deeds. Amen? So thank you for stirring me up this morning because this is a morning worthy of being stirred up because we are walking into uh, the next word that the Advent season over the history of the church has brought together to say if they are things that we know that Jesus in his coming affected for us and that he embodies in himself, that he is this very thing for us. These are some of the words and those words have landed as hope and joy and peace and love. And this morning we enter into this word peace and it is a giant deal. Uh, in my estimation, as I have explored it more, I would argue that it is central to all of the other words as well that we experience in the Advent season. Peace is something that our souls both long for desperately and need desperately, perhaps more than any of the other things. Peace is what we want. Peace is what we are after at the end of the day. Uh, you know, you, you will notice this uh, in the daily disruptions that steal peace from you and just how much you feel kind of that like, whoa, disruption of soul. This morning, um, our alarm went off at 7 a.m. I don't usually set it for 7 a.m. I, I have different times on Sunday mornings, but this morning, I wanted to set it for seven because I wanted to spend just a little bit of time just processing before I walked into here the magnitude of this particular word as it relates to Jesus affecting it for us. And, and you know, I don't know if you know, but if you, if you use your cell phone as an alarm on the iPhones, you, have, you can save your alarms and then you can set your alarms to have different volumes depending on what you need and depending on how uh, late you went to bed the night before, right? But if you set a particular alarm with a particular volume and then you save it, it stays at that volume. And if you don't remember that, when you go, oh, look, I already have an alarm for 7 a.m., select. You don't know that you selected a volume that is inappropriate for the next morning. So this morning at 7 a.m., that little alarm went off. And literally my wife, no joke, she turns over and she goes, that was shocking. That's what she said to me, which was accurate, FYI, because I was like, what's going on? And in those little moments, you have this momentary experience of what it feels like being a human whose peace is utterly disrupted, you know? It is a shocking experience, and that's with a silly alarm. Like, we have lots of these little experiences. We experience the disruption of our peace on a daily basis. You just get on a road in a car. Just do that. And you will have multiple disruptions of your peace and tranquility. It's just constant. So we feel that. And what does that, what does that do to our souls when our peace is disrupted? I mean, it affects us. It has a weird impact, doesn't it? It's like it's stealing something that is, that is profoundly necessary for your well-being. And when it's taken from you, you don't feel well. Like something's off. It's wrong. And that's in the little things, the little disruptions. We particularly understand 
how important to our souls being at peace is when our peace is disrupted on a larger level. The alarms and the traffic and the human uh, strife that goes on, yeah, I got got that. But then bigger things sometimes happen, and it feels like peace is just gone. Uh, My... um, my two boys, two of my boys, not my two, but two of my boys, um, were in Palm Beach this last weekend. Uh, Burhanus goes to school down there, and Mahadi, his brother, wanted to shoot down by train because Burhanu was running his first official marathon. It's his second technical marathon because he ran one in our backyard, literally in circles, an entire marathon during COVID. And so I'm like, what? And so they did like a little news story, and then like the backyard marathoner runs his first real marathon. Um, and so Mahadi wanted to go down there and watch him run the marathon. So he took the train down. And then on Sunday, he ran the marathon. This is last week. And then they got in the car. They went up to my, uh, my uh, wife's parents who live in that area and had lunch with them and then made their way back home uh, to come home for Christmas break. And we were thrilled to see them. So I left church here, went home. We were waiting for them to arrive. Uh, mid-afternoon, I get a phone call from Mahadi. And, and, and he says, Dad, we've had an accident. So you, you know, you're like, oh, now he's on the phone, so that's good news, right? So, uh, of course, and then the next words out of his mouth is, the car is upside down. Now, both boys are fine, just so you know. And that was my first next question. Are you both okay? And he goes, yeah, we're fine. And then you're like, okay, you're a te- teenager, define fine. Because, you know, sometimes like, but Han is bleeding. He's lost a leg, but he seems fine. So I'm, so like, just because I, we're fine, I'm like, uh, what, are you sure everything's okay? Yeah, no, we're fine. And so they had come, and there was a bookshelf in the road on 429 as they got off the turnpike just before the Winter Garden Village exit. And Burhanu, at 70 miles an hour, because you're on a highway, uh, he avoids the bookshelf. Uh, you, you know, if it's not living, you're supposed to what? Drive through it, just FYI. This is like a, a little announcement to you. If you're on the road and there's something in front of you and you're going 70, if it's not alive, drive through it. Who does that? Like, who, what human actually, oh, I know what to do in this situation. Drive through it. No, we always swerve because that's who we are, right? Ah! And so he swerved and he tried to correct. And when you do that at 70 miles an hour, it doesn't always go well. And so the car flipped and they walked away, which was amazing. But, but here's what was profoundly true to me as I drove over to the scene and I got there and they're both standing next to the car chatting with the, uh, uh, with the state trooper was incredible and, and I get out of the car and there's their car upside down and, and it dawned on me that this could have gone a different way. And had it gone a different way, had there been injuries, because they weren't by God's grace, had there been injuries that were particularly significant that they had to go to the hospital, or had there been injuries that were life-altering, or had there been not injuries, but had we lost one of those boys or both, then at that moment, everything I know as well-being and peace and walking into the season, it's gone, right? It's gone. And, and, and you walk into a whole different world. I would not be here preaching today. I'll be sitting at a hospital. It was last week. I would not be at the Christmas Eve. I would not be home at the Christmas tree. I will not be opening presents. I walked into the kitchen yesterday and Burhanu was sitting at the uh, counter eating some breakfast and Mahadi walked by to go to the schoolroom to get something. And I had this moment where I'm like, 
The reason it feels well, the reason I feel okay, is because the peace that this is well was not stolen. So some of you here, you've had circumstances like this that didn't go the way mine did. And you better than any of us know what it is like to have peace taken from you and, and, and the feeling that it is never coming back. Do you understand that when we lose peace as humans, something about that is bigger than anything else? It, it feels deeper. It feels more disruptive. It, it seems to me that our well-being is tied more to peace than anything else. When we are at peace and we are okay, and when we're not at peace, we are not okay. It makes sense when you look at the dictionary definition of peace, why it matters so much. I, I love looking at the dictionary because the dictionary is always, to me, what humans experience about a word, not necessarily what God says. And I'm always curious, do they say the same thing he says? And when they do, then you know this word's big, right? Because it matters to us. And, and peace, boy, do they say. Listen to this. Dictionary definition of peace. Pay attention. The obvious ones, right? A state of mutual harmony between people or groups, especially in personal relations, not at war. Yay! The normal freedom from civil commotion and violence of a community, public disorder, and scrutiny. So anybody here want violence and, and commotion in your neighborhood every day? Like you wake up in the morning, it's quiet, the birds are singing, bleep, 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 bleep. I don't know if that's what birds do, but they're singing, and, and, it's, and, and, and you go, ah, man, there's no violence. There's no commotion. There's nobody killing anybody else. There's no blood and gore. I mean, come on. Anybody? No, like when we read that, we're like, peace is the absence of violence and commotion in, 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 in groups. You're like, yes, I want that. When that's, not, when that's not present, it's a big deal. Listen to this one. The cessation or ceasing of or the freedom from any strife or dissension. I mean, can, oh, just imagine that with me for a second. Imagine a life that is absent of or you are free from any strife. We went to the movies yesterday with my family. We took all of our kids. Not all of them because some of them were working, but most of them. And so we went to watch the Chosen Christmas special, uh, and it was amazing. They had a lot of singing beforehand, and we didn't expect the singing. And so the kids were like, why are they singing? And so, you know, you're in the movie, like, it'll be over in a minute. And then an hour later, it was over. And then we watched the movie. So totally worthwhile movie to see, not necessarily the singing. But um, we go to the movies. We're going to go see this. We get them, we get them popcorn. We, we get them pizza. We, we do the whole thing. And the environment was perfectly poised for a lack of strife. So imagine a life free of strife. We can't even get that life when the entire environment is poised for a lack of strife because somehow even in that environment, we walked out going, really? I mean, really? Really? We're fighting here? Yep. So, you know, the second I said that, freedom from strife, you turned to your spouse and you were like, not ever going to happen. <laughs> not because I don't love you, but because we know. Peace. Peace is a big deal. Listen to this one. Freedom of the mind from annoyance, distraction, anxiety, or obsession about anything. That's a definition of peace in the dictionary. 
What? Who wants that? I mean, I would give anything to have that. Like, when you start realizing what peace actually means, you're like, oh, that's big. No wonder I have a longing for this. Listen to this one. The state or condition conducive to, proceeding from, or characterized by tranquility. (laughs) And then my favorite of them all. This is my favorite of them all. Listen to this. To be at peace, listen now, is to be untroubled, tranquil, or content. To be at peace, the dictionary says, is to be untroubled, tranquil, and content. Anybody here long for contentment? Like you're just totally content. Nothing disrupts you, nothing. That's peace. Do you understand now why our soul longs for peace? Why we were made, it seems, to need more than anything else to be at peace. Because when we are at peace, we are well. And when we are not at peace, we are not. I would suggest that hope, which is very important, is actually that that we feel with the hope for peace. The answer is going to be peace every time for a while. So I'm just... Just roll with me here. I'm not going to trick you and be like, and you're going to say peace. I'm going to be like, no, it's Jesus. I'm not going to do that. Later in the sermon, I'm going to do that. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you a good clue on that. But right now, just peace. Okay, so when we hope, what we are hoping for is peace. And when we rejoice, we are rejoicing because we have Do you see what I'm saying? Like even hope and joy, they are related to whether or not we have or can find peace. Because when we are at peace, We are well. It is no wonder that Jesus coming to this planet, it seems both Old and New Testament, the declaration of what he's coming to do is to affect for us peace. And the fact that he did and that he does should be a giant deal to us. We should walk into this week and into this season and into Christmas going, that I have peace with him that I have peace because of him, that he is my peace, is the biggest deal. And my hope is fulfilled in him being my peace. My joy is because he is my peace. And the love I have from him is what affects my peace. But at the end of the day, I am at peace because of Jesus. His impact on our peace, it turns out from Scripture, is extensive and expansive and complete. And yet we sit here, many of us, feeling like, it sounds beautiful, but I am not at peace. I know. Let's watch this unfold. So the peace that Jesus affected really began in the immediate encounters that people had with him when he arrived. Because in his arrival, it was the beginning of saying, I told you I would bring peace. Here I am. So let's see if this is playing out. And at his arrival, we see the beginning reflections, the shadows of what would ultimately be his affecting peace for the immediate people that encounter him and for us in the here and now and for us in our future. At his arrival, there are multiple examples of people experiencing peace, contentment, tranquility, well-being, a feeling of being okay because he showed up. One of my favorites is a man named Simeon. In Luke chapter 2, 
Jesus is being brought to the temple to be presented. He has now just been born, and this is what Luke chapter 2 says about the experience of a man named Simeon and how we begin to see when Jesus shows up, a well-being shows up with him, a tranquility, a contentment, a I am going to be okay, a what? A peace. Watch. It says, uh, chapter 2 of the book of Luke, uh, in verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. So he's waiting for the completion, the redeeming, the restoring of Israel, because Israel had been in a place of lacking peace, in turmoil, in war, in, 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 in uh, uh, the space of being uh, under occupation for centuries, and he knew of the promises that the prophets had made that one day one would come who would bring peace. And he's like, I am waiting for the one who will come and bring peace. Because what is it that my soul's longing for? Peace. And it says this, and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the one. And he came in the spirit into the temple that day. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, now listen, listen, Lord Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. What does that mean? It means I have been waiting in anxiety, in in turmoil for this thing to happen that would bring about the consolation, the completion, the redeeming and restoring of Israel. And it's not happening. And one will come that will make it happen. And when he showed up, what was the first thing he affected? Peace for the nations? No, just peace for, for me, for Simeon. That's what Simeon's saying. I don't know what this kid's going to do. I can't fathom the things he's going to do. But I can fathom one thing right now. I can die in peace because I am staring at peace itself. This is the beauty of what God is doing. Now look at this. It says, Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, here we go. For my eyes have seen your salvation and you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. His experience, the shepherd's experience, the wise men's experience, Mary's and Joseph's experience, multiple other experiences were this child is the promise for a giant worldwide, global peace that they couldn't even fathom in its eternality. But at the end of the day, his first peace was that he brought encounters of peace right there for the immediate people. 
It is just what Jesus does. And then, as the Scripture unfolds, and Jesus begins to teach, and He begins to share as an adult, and then the authors of Scripture, after Jesus dies, rises from the dead, and ascends into heaven, begin to unpack for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the realities of what Jesus is doing with us and for us, we discover two profound things that speak to our here and now as it relates to peace. The first is that the scripture begins to unpack that when Jesus left this planet after his redemptive work, he said to us through the disciples, as I'm leaving in my physical body, I will never leave you alone. I'm going to be with you always. And the way I'm going to be with you is that I'm going to give you my very spirit. The spirit of God is going to be in you, with you, around you, for you. And the spirit of God is going to do two profound things. The spirit of God is going to do for you in your current space here on planet earth, what I was doing for you being here. He's going to give you comfort, peace, well-being, and empower you to be that for others. Now watch. And the second thing he's going to do is he's going to seal you for the eternal expression of that peace. He's going to take care of the here and now, and he's going to take care of the yet to come by making both of them experiences now that despite the realities of this broken world, you can experience something powerful that is his presence and his peace. And so he says it this way. You're going to encounter two things in life. You know that your entire life, welcome to this little epiphany. It's a sad one at first, but it's actually kind of cool. Your entire life and mine is actually quite simple. It is, an, it is an expanse of circumstances and relationships. Did you know that? There's your life. Welcome. Like my life's more complicated than that. Not really. No. You encounter two things every day. Humans, relationships, and circumstances. Things that happen through you, around you, to you. That's our whole life. We have resources that we then divide among those circumstances and people try to keep people from stealing them from us and then we steal them from others. And this is how we know it's not quite that simple. But, but ultimately, that's our world. Our well-being, our peace is the result of how those are going. When our relationships are disrupted, our peace is stolen. When our circumstances are disruptive, our peace is stolen. And then here's what Jesus says. He comes into our world where our peace is a constant whiplash experience. And so what does that ultimately tell us? Peace is fleeting. You can't have it. And so you're just anxious all the time. And he says this, I'm showing up by my spirit and I'm going to do this. When the circumstances are causing you a lack of peace, anxiety, because remember that was in the dictionary. Peace is the absence of anxiety, right? Come to me and I will do something. Listen to this. Philippians chapter 4 Paul is writing, and he writes these words. Oops, went too far. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. So just stop there for a second. We just hit the first impossible, right? Humans, now that you know Jesus, let your gentleness be evident to all. And I'm like, oh, well, there goes that plan. Why? Because you and I are not capable of being gentle when we are not at peace. Fair enough? When you're in turmoil, do you know what you create? Turmoil. That's right. When you're disrupted, do you know what you do? 
You disrupt. Now, you might be sitting there saying, not me. I'm not one of those types. When I'm disrupted, I don't disrupt. I'm calm as the cucumber. Yeah, passive-aggressive people do this. They're calm as a cucumber for a while, and then when they disrupt, everyone dies. <laughs> so I don't care who you are, you will eventually disrupt if you are continually disrupted. Fair enough? Now, how you disrupt may look very different, but we are a disruptive people because we are disrupted. And so he starts by saying the goal is that we would be able to be toward one another people that demonstrate our reasonableness, our gentleness. But we're like, but we can't because we're disrupted. Yeah, wait, we're not done. Look. So if you want to do that, remember that the Lord is at hand. Good to know because we're going to need him. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, I realize that's, the, that's what I need not to be a person that's unreasonable. I just need to not be anxious, but look at this. But in everything, by prayer and petition or supplication, the asking, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the first thing we learn about the here and now is that in God's redemptive work through the coming of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, he has empowered us by his spirit, and we have the opportunity that we did not have before when we did not have his spirit and we did not have his redemptive work, that when we are disrupted, when our peace is stolen, when the circumstances or relationships are not what they ought to be and our well-being is disrupted, we can come to him and say, I am disrupted. Would you help? And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to progressively, over a lifetime of journey with me, continue to show you how I transcend you out of your peace being founded in the circumstances and relationships and how I give you a peace that you will not be able to explain any longer. It is a peace that transcends understanding. And so it is not natural, but supernatural. And our calling, our invitation is when you are disrupted, come regularly and ask him to be your undisruption, to be the undoing of what is disrupting you. Not by changing it, though he may do that at times, but by being more than it is. So we have that. That's ours. We can have peace progressively. And then he does something else that's extraordinary. He says, not only can you come and ask when things are disrupting you, and I will begin to show you how I am more than them. But here's the other thing that will happen. These things that disrupt you, these things that shape you, they are often directly related to your need as a human to matter. Do you want to matter? I want to matter. Do you matter? Good question, right? That's what we wrestle with. That's where our peace is mostly disrupted, isn't it? Maybe I don't matter. Maybe nobody likes me. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm... Man, nothing disrupts our peace faster than that insecurity that we are not what we should be. We are not okay. We are not loved. That's why we need to be loved so bad, because we need peace so bad. And what God says is this. The reason you feel that way all the time is because on this planet, you're looking around going, I need to prove to everyone and God that I'm good enough, so I'm going to chase after things that show them how cool I am. Maybe it's accomplishments, maybe it's fame, maybe it's stability, maybe it's relational wonder, maybe it's kindness. We all have our things. We're like, I'm going to be lots of that, and then people will know I matter. 
And then the second we do all those things and some human comes to us and either does them better and then we're like, I don't matter as much as they matter. I gotta do it better. Or they come and say, that was a nice try, but it was terrible. And we go, oh, I don't matter. And then we're back in this, and it is obsessive. It, is, it drives anxiety. Have you done enough? Have you done enough? Have you done enough? And then Jesus comes into that space and he goes like this. Wow, that sounds very warlike with yourself. But I'm going to change that. Ephesians chapter 2, he says, I came, I died, I rose from the dead, I gave you eternal life. And then verse 10, you are now my workmanship created in Christ Jesus, so you're made brand new in Christ, for good works prepared when? In advance for you to do. See, you don't have to chase after them. You don't have to go create them. You don't have to find them. You don't have to do them. Well, he's like, I got this. I got your story. Your story's my story now. And your joy is waking up in the morning and saying, God, what's your story for me today? I matter because you made me matter. And because you have good works for me to do. Do you think if he has some works for you to do that you matter? Yeah, because he created us with a sense of needing purpose. And he's like, I got it. I already created some stuff for you to do. I don't need you to do it. But I love watching you have fun doing it. This is our life. Now, it takes us how long to realize this? Approximately 120, 130 years. So just after we die, we're like, oh, I was okay the whole time. I know it takes time, but this is the nature of progress, right? That's why I say God's peace that he has affected for us through his death and resurrection is a progressive experience for us in our maturing process. We start with, I don't think I'm okay, and then he quietly keeps moving us along the dial to say, yes, you are, yes, you are, yes, you are, by showing us what he has done. So the sanctifying process that is making us new, like him, making our brokenness go away, is the process by which he progressively amplifies peace and progressively de-amplifies turmoil. Our experience is very rarely, unless he changes circumstances, I'm in turmoil, Zick, I have peace. Our, our, our experience with Jesus scripturally is actually this. I'm in turmoil, I have no peace. And then he comes and he got, brings his truth and does his work. And before you know it, I find myself here. I feel a little more at peace than at turmoil. I feel a lot more. Ah! We experience that most in those giant journeys where we had the experiences where some of you have had, where we've had the loss of a loved one, a, a, a giant disruption of peace, and we never thought we'd find our way back. Some of you are still in the middle of that space. We're like, I don't know that I'll find my way back. But you will see, as we have seen, that in Christ, this progressive journey of quietly making your way back to a greater experience of peace than turmoil is built into the redemptive work of Jesus. And that's for the here and now. And then the final thing he does in the here and now, which is crazy, is he says, you know those things that disrupt your peace? What did we tell you they were? Other humans and circumstances, right? You with me so far? You know those things? Guess what they do? Check the box. They disrupt your peace, right? If you're like, no, I don't think so. It's time to wake up, <laughs> right? Sometimes they're nice, but it's just a matter of time before they're like, disrupt. He's like, I know that's what they do, but I'm going to do something else with them now. I'm going to reorder them so that in their disruption, I'm not going to make them not disrupt. In their disruption, they'll do something else that transcends the beauty of the damage they tried to do. 
James chapter 1, verse 2, listen. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face disruptions of many kinds. Trials is what they call it in Scripture. Disruptions of many kinds. Because you now know that these disruptions will refine your faith. They will refine your faith. And in refining your faith, they will develop in you perseverance. And perseverance, when it finishes its work in you, watch this now, will make you mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do you know what other word we use for that? Content. And what is the other word for content? Peace. Peace. So he literally says, the circumstances that steal your peace, I'm going to do something with them and then they're going to build your peace. What? It's not immediate, but progressively they lose. I win. That's Jesus. This is why he says the world is a crazy place and it's like constantly full of trouble. But I have what? I have reversed it. I have overcome it. I have undone it. And it is now part of the tool I use to bring about your peace, even in the midst of the experience of your peace being disrupted. Look how crazy is this? And do you want to know something even crazier? Everything I've just described, practically the entire sermon, is just the reflection of the real work Jesus did to give us peace. Have you ever stood and you're looking in a mirror and someone walks by you behind and you see the reflection in the mirror? The philosophical question is, did you actually see them? Ooh, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to hear it, did it make a sound, right? Did you actually see them when all you saw was their reflection? Well, the answer is kind of yes and no, right? Because you didn't see them, but you did, because what you saw showed you that they were in fact there. These experiences of peace that we have that I've just described that are all immediate encounters with Jesus for the people that were there, our encounters of trials and tribulations and struggles, our encounter of the Holy Spirit in us, they are all reflections of what he actually did for us and that we can see through those experiences what is yet to come that is bigger than any of those experiences and is actually where this season as we walk into Christmas, we ought to find our true wonder. When you sit on Christmas morning or you sit this week and you think about Jesus being peace, where you ought to land is where I'm about to go. There's a little sentence in the book of Romans that we pass by quite quickly, quite often, that we ought to stop at every time and take a deep breath and go, this is perhaps one of the most profound sentences in all of Scripture. We've read it the last two weeks, actually. It's in the book of Romans, chapter 5. And it says this, listen to this little sentence. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, what does the word justified mean? Uh, it means that we were accused of something, we are guilty of something, we come before a righteous judge or a judge, and the judge or jury determines whether what we are guilty of, we are in fact guilty of. And if we are guilty of it, we are not justified, made just. And then we experience consequence. You with me so far? But if we are declared not guilty, nope, 
you did not do this or you are not guilty of this, then we are justified and there is no consequence. You with me? So what he's saying here is, because we were justified in this faith experience we've had with Jesus, because we know him now, our faith, we are justified, something happened. Something happened. What is it that happened? Here we go. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the sentence we skip over. We have peace with God with our Lord Jesus through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know why we skip over that sentence? We don't skip over it. We're like, oh, that's nice. We're like, have a little momentary warm fuzzy. Oh, peace with God. Because here's how we think about it. There was God and then there was us and we weren't getting along super well. And he was a little mad and we were a little scared. And then Jesus died and he went, I like you now. And we went, thank you. And we were good with God. Now, obviously I'm exaggerating a bit, but in its essence, that's how I experience because that's how I experience other humans. I don't get along with someone and that's disruptive. And then I do get along with them and everything's made right and I feel better. That is not how it works with God. That is not what we had with God or what we were saved from with God. Let me help you understand a little bit more in case you don't. The scripture describes something utterly other than that. It describes God as the embodiment, the absolute essence of all things holy, just, and right. He is righteousness. He is justice. He is holiness. And nothing in him or around him survives that isn't righteousness, justice, and holiness. If he encounters anything that is not like him, he overcomes it by destroying the reality of it. He is the one who will take every injustice and make it go away, obliterate it. Every, every terrible thing, every sinful thing, every wrongdoing, everything, he brings something to that that makes it go away. Are you glad we have a God that unravels injustice? A God that brings goodness where there is not goodness. A God that gets rid of sin. Me too. Do you know why? Because who wants that stuff? Again, like who wakes up in the morning like, oh, there's just not enough injustice in the world. I mean, I turn the news on and some nice story about a guy running a marathon in his backyard. Who wants to watch this stupid stuff? I want violence. Like who does that? Like we don't. We don't want injustice. And when we find it, what do we want it done to? We want it gone. And we serve a God who does that. And the way he describes that is that what he brings is he brings his wrath against sin. And there's our second problem. We have taken the word wrath and made it a nice word. We've made it like parental discipline. Mom and dad brought their wrath upon me and grounded me for a week. Mm, you misunderstand the word wrath in a very big way. We shouldn't be using words like that when we are doing little things, because wrath is something other. And God's wrath, the best way I can describe it, it's the way I've chosen to think about it, because it's not quite as big as God's wrath, actually, but the biggest thing I know. Have you ever watched footage, either in a movie or in a documentary, of an atomic bomb going off? Okay, when an atomic bomb goes off, you first see the mushroom, and then the next footage is usually what, if they're doing a good job? It's the moving of a force. And that force seems invisible, but what is that force doing? It's destroying. So I, I thought that too, but then I'm like, destroy isn't really a 
accurate word for what we're watching, is it? Like maybe obliterating, better, better, but still not quite enough because what you watch kind of gives you chills down your soul, doesn't it? Because it just moves and anything in its path, it makes it go away. Like literally you see humans, if you ever watch footage and like, there they are, then they're ash, and then they just go, and you're like, there was once a person and now there's no more. When I think about God's wrath against sin, if sin is everything standing in front of an atomic bomb, God's wrath is the atomic bomb. And before Jesus came and was born to that manger, and before he lived, and before he died, and before he gave his life for us, and before he resurrected, and before he ascended, before Jesus saved humanity, we were sin. And when God's wrath is brought, we were the ones standing in its path. There's a movie, uh, Wolverine. I love uh, movies that are super hero movies. And so Wolverine's a movie I love. And Wolverine, in case you don't know, he can heal. <laughs> so cool. Um, so he has the superpower. And in the, in the Wolverine movie, there is a scene where an atomic bomb goes off. It's actually the atomic bomb that goes off in Hiroshima. And so it's spreading out. And there's this Japanese guy, because uh, Wolverine lived back in the past and, and now. He's got lots of powers. It's not real. It's a fantasy. But I'm just saying it's really fun. And so the scene in the movie is that this atomic bomb is moving. And there's this Japanese guy. And he sees it coming. And you, you know what you don't do when an atomic bomb is coming your way? You don't escape. You don't run away. You, you die. That's what you do. You die. So when the wrath of God is coming, like you die, it's, that's it. Like there's no escaping that. And so he's staring at it in the scene and like he dives in this hole and you almost look at him and like, you're joking, right? Like atomic bomb. Look, there's a ditch. I'll lay in it. You're like you're dead. You're dead. Just, just face it. And then the Wolverine jumps on top of him and covers his entire body. And that atomic bomb comes over the Wolverine and it burns the Wolverine to the point that you would imagine, like almost ash. And at the end of the atomic bomb and every, the dust sort of settles, the Wolverine is just basically a person that looks like they've been burned head to toe. And he kind of rolls over onto his back and the guy under him is what? Fine. When you enter Christmas this year, I want you to know, if you know Jesus, that when the wrath of God comes against sin someday, it will come at you and at me. And as it comes and we're like, oh, we will have that moment. I mean, this is my imagination. This is what the Bible describes, but I'm just saying. That we'll be like, oh my goodness. And then suddenly as it surrounds us, we'll realize what? It's not affecting us. We're fine. And then we will stand up and look around and you know who we will be standing inside of? Jesus, because he is our peace with God. And you do not escape the wrath of God against sin unless you are at peace with God. Is it a big deal that we're at peace with God? It's not like a little deal, like, oh, he likes me and I like him. It's, I was dead, now I'm not. And so we stand safe at peace with God while he also affects peace for us day to day in all those other areas. I want to read you one last thing, and then we're going to wrap it up. This is so incredible. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying about our peace that's coming 
and he's going to show us that it's not just about getting peace, it's about one who holds it. Watch this. Isaiah chapter 9. Now, you guys know this, right? Okay, here, here it is. Familiar passage. You're going to be like, oh, it's that one. It's beautiful. It's part of Christmas. For unto us a child is born unto us. And you're like, oh, I got that one. I like it. Do you know what comes right before it? Suddenly you're like, no, there's something before it. Doesn't stand alone. Turns out it doesn't. <laughs> the chapter before it, chapter 8, is when the Assyrian army comes in and obliterates Israel. They take them captive. They lock them down and they enslave them. Does that sound like fun to you? And then Isaiah says this to them while they're in that trouble. That's not peace, that's war. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone now. You have multiplied the nations and you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. So it's super weird because he's telling Israel this and what is their current circumstance? They're under occupation, under Assyria, enslaved by them and treated terribly. And he's like, light will be yours. And they're like, what are you talking about? And then look, he says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Your boots have trampled war and battle and turmoil under itself. For to us a child is born. That's the next line. See what Isaiah's doing? Is it hard on this planet? The answer would be yes. Are you struggling? To those who live in darkness. Now, light is coming. And here is the light. To un unto us, a child to them will be born. To us, was born. Unto us, a son was given and is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful. Now watch this. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Those are big ones, aren't they? But you know what the last one is he picks? It's almost like he wraps it all up. He's like, He's mighty God, everlasting Father, warrior. And then it's like he pauses for a second. He goes, our prince of peace. All those other things he'll be will so be so that he can be our prince of peace by giving us peace in our encounters with him, giving us peace through our trials and tribulations, giving us peace with ourselves, and giving us a new purpose, but more importantly than anything else, giving us peace with God so that we will stand in him when the wrath of God comes and we will be recipients of God's peace, not God's wrath. Oh, what a savior we have. Our Prince of Peace. So this Christmas, I leave you with this. Pay close attention to the things that disrupt your peace in the next seven days. They are reminders to you of how good it is that you are in Jesus. So don't let them steal. Let them prove 
Oh, you try to disrupt my peace driver again by cutting me off and honking your horn at me? Ah, I need Jesus. This is why. Oh, my child whom I love, you're trying to create strife in my home and destroy my very well-being and suck the life out of me. This is a good reminder of how beautiful Jesus is and how much I find him to be my peace. Oh, I walk into a deep grief this season because of loss. Someone is absent who should be present. My heart is empty and I have no space to find life in Christmas. Oh, no wonder I need Jesus. Because in the end, whatever circumstances are mine, the beautiful or the brutal, the silly or the profoundly hard, I am at peace with God. And so I am at peace. Because that is enough. My Savior is my Prince of Peace. God, thank you for your incredible love for us and this incredible and wondrous clarity that you've given us, that when you came to this planet, you came to do many things, but at its foundation, you came to make peace for us, peace with you so that we would not be recipients of your wrath, but recipients of your love, peace with ourselves because we have been given purpose by you because we matter because of you and so we can wrestle toward a contentment peace with one another because in you we can love one another as you have loved us peace with our circumstances because whether they are disruptive or whether they demonstrate peace they are both propelling us toward peace now because you have overcome the world by reordering the disruptions to be the formations of our beautiful perseverance that leads to our beautiful completeness. God, we walk into this Christmas in awe that you are the Prince of Peace. And we ask you to restore our souls as you begin to shape us into people that experience greater peace than turmoil despite the turmoil the world keeps trying to throw at us. Not because our circumstances are great, but because you are enough. We love you, Jesus. Amen.